All right, why don't you turn to the book of Proverbs? We're going to uh, look first at, the, at our society, and then we're going to jump out to Proverbs. But the message is entitled, Faithful Fathers. You know, an examination of the history of men and the various civilizations and cultures of the past reveal very clearly that the family has always been the nucleus of society and society the reflection of the home. You can't have good homes in a bad society. And you can't have a good society and bad homes. The home is the extension of society. It's simple. Also noted is the um, importance of fathers in the home as a key characteristic of stable and safe homes in society. They're the providers, the protectors, both of the home and the nation. Now, these truths were self-evident in our nation until the most recent history of self-interest, self-esteem, and self-expression. Our nation began to change with the liberal progressive movement around the 1900s, the beginning. It was a slow, steady process of decline. And when we reached, let's say, the mid-60s, our nation um, had progressed to a very sad decay of morality, ending up now in our present amoral society in America, meaning there are no morals. There is no standard. The greatest attack in our day has been against the family and marriage. If you are anywhere from 40 to 60, you've seen this progression. The greatest person in the family that has been attacked has been the man, the father. He has been lowered from the head of home to be trodden underfoot in many, many areas. In fact, the whole nucleus of parenthood has been said to be foolish compared to the wisdom of children. You can see that in television and um, commercials and everything. What I want to do is talk to young men who will one day be husbands and fathers. And those of you who are fathers already, and I want to talk to you from the book of Proverbs, even as Solomon instructed his son Rehoboam about living a godly life. In spite of this world we live in, even Solomon is uh, teaching, the world was dark then in its own right, every generation, because we live in a fallen world. But in spite of this, God saves men to be faithful fathers to their children in every generation. In the midst of a dark and lost world, wherever country may be, whatever uh, type of government there is. And um, that's God's faithfulness. The gospel goes forth, and that's how men are transformed. And I'm going to deal specifically with men. And some of you young men were here. I had the high school class come in because I want them to hear. You're going to be married one day. You're going to, have a, you're going to ask a woman to marry you. And you're going to have to step up to the plate and uh, provide and protect. And uh, you're going to have children. And you're going to have to be the example. You're going to have to lead. You're going to have to guide. You're going to have to take stands that are not going to be favorable. And this is what God calls you to. So you need His wisdom. Yours will not do. And so, in order for us to get a good understanding 
of the type of wisdom Solomon is talking about. Um, we want to look at wisdom from three perspectives. We're going to take a dark look first. The wisdom of the world. Then we'll go to the wisdom of Proverbs, the book itself. And we'll finish up with the wisdom of Solomon, examining certain portions. Let's begin with the wisdom of the world. Our American society has settled for a modern-day view of the family at the expense of every member of the family. The embracing of role reversals are accepted and encouraged for young adults. They are indoctrinated in this in the educational system, in the television, the uh, magazines, uh, programming, everything. The family no longer has to consist of a mother and a father. Any combination of livings will do, heterosexual, bisexual. It makes no difference for politically correctness and being. And uh, if you don't believe this, then you're a racist, you're a bigot, you're evil. Hmm. Single parents no longer look forward to family gatherings per se, but to send their kids across the state or town to their divorce mates that now are just simply living with someone. They don't even bother to get married. Our American society criticizes Christians for their believing in a standard of objective truths, absolute right, absolute wrong. They brashly accuse Christians of being puritanical, non-progressive, if you will, and filled with religious taboos that only result in unneeded guilt. The problem is that the criticism is hypocritical and judges their own absolute standards, no standard, or whatever standard's convenient. The standard embraced by most of society today, as you know, is non-moral, non-ethical. And um, they believe they're correct. They've been so thoroughly marinated overnight that that's the only way they can think. There is no more opposing opinions our universities have taken care of that. The greatest freedom you as and I have as Americans is freedom of speech to express what we believe without anybody being hostile to us. This has come to an end already in the academic world. It transfers to society. Now the problem is that a statement of one's belief, though it may be sincere, doesn't make it true nor does it make it accurate. And it can always be judged with time by the conclusions and the effects of it. The proclamation and promises of a non-moral, non-ethical society, for instance, doesn't correlate with the time that has passed. What it has promised, it has not delivered. It's promised happiness and fulfillment and, and all this, but it's brought pain and decay and destruction. Um, so the world promises much, but it delivers little. Satan did the same with Adam and Eve. And when he came to Eve, he says, Oh, surely you will not die. But you will become God like him. Magnifies the benefit. Minimizes the consequences. 
once you jump off that building, you better look over, make sure there's water or concrete at the bottom. Because once you're in the air, oops, don't matter. It's too late. Just in the 52 years from the mid-60s, we have seen society go from fairly conservative to liberal on every level. As I said, our schools are mainly interested in um, have a priority of security and um, having a psychologist on staff. It's the first one they hire. Their goal is not education, but indoctrination and anti-family. You see, the credibility of the standard of a person that he lives by will be manifested in the years to come, as I said. Either it will build character and commitment and stability, or just the opposite. One of the two. Jesus said, wisdom is justified over children in Matthew eleven nineteen. What Jesus meant by that was that whatever philosophy or standard you and I live by, those choices, that person is going to be justified to be truly wise or dumb. The wisdom of God is pure, easy to be entreated. It produces life and good. Our American society with the epidemic of our disintegrating family is manifesting the painful signs of frustration, stress, hopelessness due to lives of selflessness or selfishness, just the opposite of selflessness, resulting in violence and disregard for life on every level. It's sometimes that people want to just close their eyes to the reality of the world. The only way you can really assess the right solution is to make sure you assess the problem in reality. If you candy coat the problem, your solution will be also be candy coated. You must make an exact examination of the problem. The unborn children have no rights. A mother can kill a child any time in the womb, even up to partial abortion. Horrible. Children are abused physically and sexually by adults and children. Children commit some of the most heinous crimes today that it baffles your mind. In June of 1999, two brothers ages 11 and 9, tortured, beaten, sexually abused a three-year-old little girl who was living in their home and then put her into the dryer. Where did they get this? Product of society. That's the problem with it takes a village to raise a child. No, it takes two parents, a mother and a father to raise a child. Not a village. This is what results when a village raises two people. Drive-by shootings, retaliations, home break-ins are average, they're normal. The elderly are considered to be of little value for society. So euthanasia is already being practiced, though it's not really known today, but it's, it is already in our nation. Certainly it's all over Europe. And they want to categorize it as wisdom and compassionate. This is the Kevorkian philosophy. The goal of the modern society is to love 
and gratify self, and finally to realize one's own full potential. Um, letting nothing getting in your way, whether it be family or spouse. And once again, um, if you are anywhere from 40 to 65, 70, you have seen this progressive decline. It is forward, but it's downward. Now, aren't you glad you came to church this morning? But see, you have to go to the doctor. You go to the doctor and you have cancer. He says, bud, you've got cancer. Now, do you want him to say, you know, you got just a little dark spot there, you know? Well, won't hurt you. Or do you want him to tell you the truth? Once that doctor makes that examination, then now he can prescribe the right medication, right? It's, it's simple. General Powell made a plea to the men of America for mentors to take the place of absentee fathers. How ironic that, it, uh, that as a society we have um, done everything to encourage the breakup of the family by moral permissiveness in our educational system, no-fault divorce and legal, the legal system, and extreme children's rights that allow children to be divorced from their parents in our judicial system. And then we ask total strangers who do the most, for the most part, have no commitment to moral standards to shape the youth of America? <laughs> How ironic is that? Doesn't sound like wisdom to me. What's wrong with asking fathers to stay home and to take care of their children? That should be the request. All the signs around us tell us that our society has embraced the philosophy of no family love. It's the chief characteristic of the last days. Paul speaks about it in Romans 1.31 and 1 Timothy 3.3. No family love. We think we have uh, become so smart by redefining the family, embracing the philosophy of tolerance and political correctness, regardless of the perversity or evil, openly accepting and promoting even the homosexual and lesbian lifestyle, contrary to not only God, but to society. And again, if you oppose it, then you are puritanical and plain evil. Wow. Isaiah 520 says, they call evil good and good evil. Welcome to America. All this simply because many of the men of America do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and many others who fail to live out their Christian faith in their homes. Men, um, you are so important. You are so crucial to society. And young men, listen to me well. If the Lord tarries, you will marry. And you will have children. The majority of you. And if you don't have God's word to mold and shape you first, you'll have nothing to give to them. Absolutely nothing. Ephesians 5.23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. That's your role, man. That's what he's called you to. But he's also enabled you. So the wisdom of the world does not produce wise children. It really doesn't. Now let's look at the wisdom of Proverbs. 
The author of Proverbs, you find here in Proverbs chapter 1, in verse 1, Solomon, the son of David, is the author of the book of Proverbs. David had uh, been chosen by God, as you know, been given everything he needed by God, and David um, uh, abused his kingly power. Incredible king, terrible father. And he became an unfaithful husband, treacherous. So we see that God's word can't keep us from doing stupid things. But it doesn't force us from not doing stupid things. We have a free will. Solomon was the son of David through the adulterous relationship with Bathsheba as he got her pregnant and thought that he would um, cover up his sin by having him killed until God sent Nathan the prophet. And um, David got busted. And God told him that because he had done such a thing that the sword would not depart from his house and the same thing he had done to Bathsheba would be done to all his wives by his very son as he had through, tried to overthrow him in his kingdom. You know, that principle of sowing and reaping is something that you and I cannot get away from. You may boast of having a strong arm throwing a boomerang, but it'll come back and hit you at one time or another. No if or but about it. Solomon in chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, if you turn there, he says he was trained different than David's other children. When he was young and tender, the only one on the side of his mother, David, taught Solomon. And when David's other children were young, it appears from the scriptures that they were left much to themselves, learning more by their father's bad example than his words, Absalom, Adonijah, and others. The purpose of Proverbs, ladies and gentlemen, is plainly stated in the beginning of the book in chapter 1, verse 2 through 6. It says, to know wisdom in verse 2, instruction referring to information and the proper application. The proper or the perceive, uh, to perceive here the words of understanding in verse 2 it says, to the apprehension and the comprehension of the instruction to discern its value and appropriation. So you assimilate, accommodate, you weigh it out. It's value, where it's going to fit in. Verse 3, to receive instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, referring to arriving at the best decision, right or wrong. In verse 4, to give prudence to the simple, referring to making the foolish and naive person shrewd and be wise in their living. Listen well, young man. You must grow in knowledge. Knowledge is information. Wisdom is the appropriation, the conclusion of that information. Still in forward, to give the young man knowledge and discretion, referring to making him confident and sure of the right choices he makes. In verse 5, notice that the wise man will hear and increase learning. And the man of understanding will attain wise counsel in order to understand a proverb and an enigma, the word of the wise and their riddles. In other words, a wise person is teachable, increasing, never thinking they have arrived. Wisdom, as you know, is personified as a woman pursuing the young and simple, the foolish young man here in chapter 1 and 2. 
The first nine chapters are the personification of wisdom. It's a woman. Look at verse 3 and 9 of chapter 4. The purpose of the Proverbs is um, confidently affirmed by Solomon. Verse 3 and 4, when he was young and tender, again, the only one uh, in the sight of his mother, David, taught Solomon. He exhorted Solomon to be his, um, let his heart retain his words, to keep his commandments and to live. The correlation between keeping and living. In verse 5, he instructed Solomon to get wisdom and understanding. Then he gave Solomon valuable counsel from 5 there to 7. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of his mouth that he's speaking. Verse 6, do not forsake her wisdom and she will prosper you. Speaking to his son, him. Love her and she will keep you, verse 6 says. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, verse 7 says. And in all you're getting, get understanding, the end of 7. Look at 8 and 9. He gave Solomon the product of his obedience. In verse 8, exalt her and she will promote you. She will bring you honor. When you embrace her, she will place on your head an ornament of grace, verse 9. She will deliver to you a crown of glory, still verse 9. This is what wisdom offers you young men and you fathers who are serving the Lord in your homes. The division of Proverbs is the introduction given at the beginning here, chapter 1, verse 2 through 6, declaring the purpose of that proverb as we've seen. The instruction to Solomon's son, Rehoboam, involves a discourse of wisdom um, versus foolishness and choosing between good and evil by personifying wisdom as a woman, as I said, who is calling out to that use in chapter 1, verse 7, all the way to chapter 9, verse 18. The Proverbs of Solomon are then declared beginning chapter 10 in verse 1, all the way to chapter 24, verse 34. Those are the Proverbs of Solomon. Then there's a small collection of Solomon's Proverbs by the men of King Hezekiah that they collected in chapter 25, verse 1 to chapter 29, verse 27. The words of Agur, the son of Jacob, then is given in chapter 30, verse 1 through 33. And the words of King Lemuel follow in Proverbs 31, 1 through 9, and the virtuous woman in 31, 10 through 31. That's the Proverbs. And if you move through the Proverbs, gentlemen, and I'll include you ladies, once a day, one chapter a day, you will read Proverbs 30 times every month. That chapter. You will read Proverbs completely through 12 times a year as you move through it. Wisdom, the Proverbs. Peace, the Psalms. Hmm. One was um, ridiculing a Christian for his professed wisdom of the scriptures. 
and going on with all he had accomplished and gained by not being a Christian. The Christian who knew much about his life responded, quote, Your wisdom has gained you three marriages, made you an alcoholic, has made you responsible in part for the ill lifestyle of your children, and numerous financial debts that have ruined your credit. I, on the other hand, can live with the outcome of my biblical wisdom that has trusted God to do away with my sin and failures and to guide and direct me through life, but that of your worldly wisdom I can never live with. Now, is that to say that Christians don't make mistakes, they don't divorce, they don't commit adultery, they don't do stupid things? No. No, we, 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 we can, and they do. But you pay a high price. But the majority of those who are sold out to Christ are going to give the Lord the glory, and they're going to depend upon Him. Now, Solomon asked God for wisdom according to the counsel of his father David. In Second Chronicles uh, chapter 1, verse 7 through 12, his own words are recorded for us as he asked for wisdom and knowledge to lead and to judge his people of the nation. I, I, I'm like a child. I need wisdom to come in and out. And because he does that, God said, oh, well, because you did not ask for silver or gold or your enemies, I'll give you all of that. Solomon understood the beginning, at the beginning, that he needed wisdom from God. Basic. He manifested wisdom as uh, is also recorded for us as exceedingly great, surpassing his contemporaries in Proverbs, in Songs, a botanist, a zoologist. So all nations and kings came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, 1 Kings 4, 29-34 says. I mean, God gave him everything because of the wisdom. His great wisdom was attested to by the Queen of Sheba, if you remember when we were in 1 Kings 10. Particularly in verse 1 through 9, it says, Then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and I saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceeds the fame of which I heard. That focused on verse 6 and 7 of 1 Kings 10. In awe, knowing that God had given it to him, there's a big difference. So will each of us as fathers be wise and benefit our families if we will draw from God's word by instruction, understanding to make wise choices in life. Every day we make choices. Every day we have opportunities. Every day we're tested, we're drawn, we're tugged at in every direction. But Solomon became great by the grace of God, but he also became the greatest fool due to having the greatest privilege of being instructed and having God's wisdom in him. Because as you know, he turned from God. Having the instruction, having the privilege. He made a choice to turn from God. He loved many strange women who turned his heart away from God. First Kings 11, 1 through 4 tells us. 
He multiplied horses to himself in 1 Kings 10.28 to depend on those horses as a sign of military power rather than God. Some trust in horses, some in chariots, but we will remember the Lord our God. Psalm 20. He willfully disobeyed the words of God for the king, Deuteronomy 17.16-17 through 17, about multiplying wives and horses. God says don't do that. The king was told to make a copy of the law himself, for himself, lest he exalt himself above his brethren. Wow. So will each of us as fathers bring destruction on our lives and our families if we compromise and not pay heed to the word of God. That's why we, um, we spend time in the word of God all the time here. <laughs> That's all we do. Because we have to be reminded and exhorted and confronted by God all the time. The wisdom of Proverbs is God's true wisdom for his children. Let's finish up with the wisdom of Solomon as we look at some very specific things here. In Proverbs 1, 8 and 9, a father is to instruct his sons and daughters to keep away from bad company. Listen to me well, young people. Being cool is not the wisest thing. Wanting to be with those who think they're smart and cool is not the beneficial thing. You need to think with the mind of Christ. Verse 8 says, My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. The father represents the authority, therefore gives the call to hear the instruction. The mother represents the example of submission with no communication of inferiority. She's a compliment. She's a great part of the family. The two pillars, authority, submission. You try to see what you get done without those two. If there's any productivity, anything good, you must have both. Someone has to give the orders, someone carries them out. It does not imply inferiority. So ladies, you young ladies who have been brainwashed with the feminist movement, put it down the toilet, flush it. God wants to protect you. God wants to fill you with the spirit of wisdom. Look at verse 9. The desire is that their children be shining examples by yielding to the instruction. For they will be as graceful ornaments on your head and a chain to your neck. Now, ladies, you like jewelry, right? They're to take on their person the instructions of their father as an outward vesture of valuable jewelry. The reference to the ornament on the head or crown represents a clear conscience. And the chains around the neck honor. Today, many young people have no honor. They've given it away. They don't have a clear conscience. They've been marred, defied, and humbled. In chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, the father is to instruct his sons and daughters to fear God. In verse 1, the father's instructions are to be a treasure chest within the child. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my command within you. 
Father's instructions are to be heeded and understood. Verse 2, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. This is your part, young people. It doesn't happen by itself. Verse 3 through 5, a father is instructed. His instructions are that his children may gain the promise of God. In verse 3, the condition is to cry out to God for discernment and understanding. You must spend time with God. You must look into the Word. You must pray. You must wait on the Lord. You must hear God's Word as a young person. In verse 4, the process is not always easy, but like seeking silver and searching for hidden treasures, you've got to work hard. You've got to roll up your sleeves. Look at 5. The product they will arrive at is the fear of God and find the knowledge of God. When you fear God, then everything works out. The priority. The reason you do what you do is because you know that you're going to dishonor God. Then you're going to dishonor your parents. So you fear God first and then you fear your parents. That will determine what you do, where you go, what you say. In chapter 3, verse 1 through 8, a father is to instruct his son and daughters to understand the relations of obedience and long life. But it begins with the fear of the Lord. Obedience and long life. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. They're not to forget what they have been taught. This is personal responsibility. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. That's your responsibility. In verse 2, they are to know that it guarantees a longer life and peace in life as opposed to disobedience. For length of days and length of life and peace, they will add to you. They won't take away from you. Verse 3, they're to be merciful to others as an ornament for life and a protection against their own heart. Listen to his words. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. That's your responsibility. Your father will teach you. He'll pray for you. Draw, confront you. But you must do this, young people. You. Verse 4. They will in turn receive the favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. The vertical and the horizontal. Look at verse 4. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. There's the two pillars of authority. One in heaven, the other one here on earth. Look at verse 5 through 8. They're to be completely dependent on God and His word resulting in health and strength. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. He's talking to every one of you young people. Your life will be the, total, the sum total of every decision you make. Every testing that comes to you, every temptation, you will say yes or no. You will give in or you will resist. One of the two. You will be solely responsible for that effect upon your life. You cannot blame anybody else. 
And young ladies, you are the sentinel of your own purity. Every man will try to bang down your door. You're the one that says yes or no. That man will have to face God. But you are responsible for that choice. No one else. Today it's a very perverted world. You must guard yourself. Fathers, to instruct the sons and daughters to not despise the chastening of the Lord. In chapter 3, verse 11 through 18. and 11, they are to be open to the chastening and the correction from God. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. Interesting. The implication being that they acknowledge their sin. The implication being that they confess their sins and receive that correction. You see, you cannot undo or redo any sin that's committed. All you can do is confess it and pray for forgiveness and receive that forgiveness and be cleansed. You'll never be able to go back. You cannot undo what you've done. Look at 12. They're to know that the motive of God's correction is love. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father the son in whom he delights. The comparison is between God and the earthly fathers. The lesson is from the greater to the lesser. If our earthly fathers care for their children's well-being, how much more our heavenly father? Look at verse 13 through 18 there. They will reap the invaluable riches of wisdom and they will yield Correction. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding for her proceeds are better than a profit of silver and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. And all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. And happy are all who retain her. What a choice. That is given to every person. If they want to choose God's wisdom. No one's excluded at all. It's a choice we make. A father is to instruct his son and daughters the value of consistency and perseverance. In uh, Proverbs 3, 21 through 26, uh, here in 21, they are to be careful to not allow the instructions to depart and think properly. He says, my son, let not them depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. They will yield life safely and stability, verse 22 and 23 say. So they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way and your foot will not stumble. They will have a clean conscience, able to sleep at night, verse 24. When you lie down, you will not be afraid, yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. 
God has made us in such a way that we need confession and forgiveness. And when that doesn't happen, with time, it destroys our nervous system and our thinking processes. It's not good for our physical being. Simple. Verse 25 and 26, they will be able to trust God through their troubles to keep them. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. In other words, because you're trusting Him and you're depending on Him, He will always be faithful to be there. The problem with not being consistent and perseverance is that once you do something, now you've broken down your resistance. The next time it's easier to give in. And then easier. And if you trust God right now and not tomorrow, then you're vacillating back and forth. And God's putting a patch on that leak and you're punching another hole somewhere else. And then we're crying on blaming God for it when we're the ones punching the holes. Wow. Look at chapter 4, verse 20 through 27. A father is to instruct his son and daughters that the problem is the evilness of their heart. This is important, fathers. As you instruct your children. Verse 20 and 22, a father instruction is repetition to his children. My son, give attention to my Words, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Over upon over, line upon line, precept upon precept, there a little, there a little. Gentlemen, you have your children for 18 years. A third of that they sleep. A third of that, maybe more. A third of that, they spend in some form of institution. That leaves you six. The first three years, they're up to toddlers. You really have your kids for three years. Out of 18. Father, what are you doing? You're spending time with your kids? Especially the formative years of your daughters and your young sons? Junior high school, high school, when they need you? Your instruction, your warnings? When you tell them, look at me. Listen to what I'm going to say. And they get a little bit of the fear of God and the fear of that. And the wisdom of God. That's a great combination. Wow. A father is to um, instruct his children that if they make decisions apart from God's word and wisdom but rather their emotions and understanding. They will end up in destruction. It will result in destruction. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life, verse 23 says there, chapter 4. Once the cat's out of the bag, it's hard to get them back in. Look at 24 through 27, a father is to give specific instructions. 24, to put away deceitful and evil words. Put away from your deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. This goes with the people you hang out with, young people. 
How do they talk? How do they express themselves? Where do they go? What do they watch on their phones? Videos, literature, all of that. Parents, if you don't monitor your kids' telephones and internet, shame on you. You have all the right to do so. They're eating your food, sleeping in your bed, showering in your water. To be careful what they allow their eyes to see, for they are the windows of the soul. Once taken in, they cannot be removed. Look at 25. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Verse 26. To consider where their feet take them and to be established in God's word and wisdom. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. What will happen if I go to this party? What will happen if I uh, get in the car with this young man? What will happen if I do this? Do you look down the road long enough? Because once it's done, it's done. And nothing can be undone. Verse 27. To be warned to not turn away and stay away from evil. Do not turn to the right hand or the left. Remove your foot from evil. Now, what is wrong with this kind of instruction? Why is it that the world hates us for it? Again, we call evil good and good evil. Now, those of you who are young, and I don't know where you've been, I don't know where you're at, but if you've messed up in what I've been talking about, there's your confession. You're asking for forgiveness. That's all that can be done. And then you're walking commitment to the Lord so that you don't add to your hurt. And so you can enjoy life down the road. This is God's desire for you. You not only break God's heart, but you break your parents' heart. Because they love you. They've been around the block. And many of us as parents were saved out of the world. We know what the world is like. The world promises life, but it only gives death. It's a um, candy-coated uh, cyanide pill. <laughs> One day a father awaited the return of his son from college, and when he arrived, it did not take long for his son to tell him that he was no longer a Christian, but he was now educated and able to stand in his own strength and wisdom. His father was brokenhearted and told him that all he had was due to what God had provided through his father's hard work. The clothes he had, the car he was driving, and even the education he had received. And then he commanded that he give to him the keys to his car that God had supplied. All the clothes except those on his back and everything else that he had received from his father. And then he told his son that all would be awaiting for him and that his prayer would be that he return to the faith he had once been taught, thereby acknowledging their true value as from God. Hard. 
difficult, but the right decision. The father was willing to forgive and to receive his son when he repented, but he would not compromise and be part of his son's sin. This is the failure of some fathers and mothers. You cannot give in to your child. I hear always, well, you know, we're, we're afraid he's going to rebel. He's already rebelled. The fact that you're at this point, he tells you he doesn't really care. Now, if your son or daughter snows you, that's one thing. But if you know what they're up to and you give permission and go along with it, now you've got a problem with God, let alone the repercussions of your children. And so you must be faithful, fathers. You must be faithful to God in every way and not give in to the worldly model. How many young people have been destroyed due to their fathers never restraining them, let alone instructing them? Happens all the time. And sometimes they're godly men. They don't spend the time with their children. Too busy working. They're gone. My children are 39 and 41. Where to go? Eli. It's a very stern warning to every parent and the responsibility that God will hold them responsible in raising their children for setting boundaries and consequences, honoring God more than their children. 1 Samuel 2, verse 30, and chapter 3, verse 13. Eli knew his sons were laying with the women in the tabernacle. Eli knew they were stealing the offerings. Eli knew that they were corrupting judgment. He did nothing to chasten or remove them. Same with David. Hmm. How many young people have gone so wrong by not paying heed to their fathers, but hanging out with the wrong crowd? I can't express that enough. Listen to me, young people. If you hang around pagans, you're going to marry a pagan. Duh. If you hang around Christians, you have some choices. You get to choose who you're going to marry. But if you hang around worldly people, you're going to marry a worldly person. Just the way it is. And you will regret it the rest of your life. Unequally yoked. My son, the sinners entice you. Do not consent, Proverbs 1.10 says. How little fear there is in the heart of man today, especially among young people. Even as there is that common sign that reads, no fear, N-O, fear. The Bible says, no fear, K-N-O-W. No fear. That's the right kind of no fear. 
Paula concurs with Proverbs about fearing God as he says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. 2 Corinthians 5.11 Knowing the terror of the Lord and judgment to those who live apart from God, we try to persuade people to repent and turn. Fear of God. How foolish the world has become by not making the relationship between right living and long living. It's basic. The psalmist says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Psalm 90, verse 12. The value in acknowledging one's fault and failure before God is that a person has forgiveness and access to God, learning and becoming wiser. 1 John 1, 9 if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wow. You see, each person will end up with the sum total of their own consistent decisions for life, adding to their hurt or their benefit. Galatians 6, 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good, especially to those who are the household of faith. Sowing and reaping. The greatest and most valuable truth anyone can understand is that the problem is our hearts, not other people. It is our evil nature. If you don't believe that, then you'll always be blaming everybody. Welcome to American society. We call it dysfunctional enabler, this and that. Nifty little new words that mean absolutely nothing. We think we're so chic, we're so modern, we're so that. Listen to the days of Jeremiah. You know, our fathers ate sour grapes and our teeth are on edge. It's their fault. Shut up. God says, Tell, don't, don't use that phrase anymore, Jeremiah. I will not talk to you if you use that phrase. You're responsible for every decision you will ever make. No one else. Wow. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. See if there's any wicked way within me. Wow. The wisdom of Solomon is to be passed down to our children. Fathers, I can't give you anything better this morning than Proverbs. Amazing. And so this is the wisdom from three perspectives for you fathers. And for all you young men, that one day you're going to marry, you're going to be fathers. The wisdom of the world does not produce wise children. The wisdom of Proverbs is God's true wisdom for his children. And the wisdom of Solomon is to be passed down to our children. May God give us wisdom to do so. Father, thank you for your grace, your love, and your goodness. We thank you for your love for your instruction, Lord, and we pray that you would just deal with each of our hearts. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Maybe over the internet, or over on the radio, somewhere in the world there. If you don't know Jesus, Jesus is the only one that can cleanse you of your sin. He's the only one that can give you wisdom how to live life. 
No one else. Everything else will destroy you. And so the first step is to acknowledge your sin and realize that Jesus died for your sin. He rose from the dead and that he alone and no one else can forgive you and cleanse you and to give you hope for life through his word. And so if you believe that, it's a miracle. Now this is your prayer of repentance if you want to accept Christ Jesus. This is not a prayer to us, but to him. And he will save you right where you sit right now. You can repeat it. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen.